Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to Eagle Brook Church. Welcome to those of you joining us online. My name's John. I'm one of the pastors here. And I got to tell you, I've absolutely loved this series, The Invitation. If you haven't seen the previous three messages, I would encourage you to go back and watch those online. But hey, before we dive in here for a second, I wanted to pause for just a moment and address the devastation that we've seen with Hurricane Harvey and what's been happening in Texas, the Gulf Coast, Louisiana down there. It's just been heartbreaking to see. And as a church, we're gonna respond. I hope you know that about us. We're gonna respond this weekend. And I know that so many of you already have. So based on conversations that we've had with churches down in Texas, what they need from us in the immediate is our financial support. And based on those conversations and what we know, the, and there's a lot of great organizations, by the way, but we're gonna focus our efforts on supporting Samaritan's Purse. They're already down on the ground there. They've already mobilized to help down there, and they're gonna stay long after the tragedy has passed. So um, here's how we're gonna do this this weekend. Any cash that's dropped off in our secure giving boxes is gonna go directly to the relief efforts. If you wanna write a check, you can write Harvey in the memo line. Any of our giving kiosks at our campuses have a drop-down option to give directly to Harvey, or you can text EBC Harvey to 555-888. I just did this yesterday. Um, it doesn't give right away. It's not just right when you text that, it's giving something. You actually have to fill out some information with that, but it's really easy to do. But this is our opportunity as a church to rise up, to be generous with what God has entrusted us and, and relieve the burden um, that our friends in the, in the South are experiencing. A couple final things. We are um, exploring long-term partnerships down in that area and how best to support them. And also just know, if you have friends or family in the area, we've been praying for you and we've been praying for them and we hope that you'll join us in praying for our friends down there. Hey, with that, it's Labor Day weekend. And so if you're like me, you've been thinking a lot about seasons. College football started this weekend. The NFL starts this coming week. And I know you know this, but the Super Bowl's in Minnesota this year. So if there's ever a time to blindly believe that the Vikings are gonna make the Super Bowl. It's right now before they played a game. <laughs> Summer's also officially ending, and so that means school is back in session or almost back in session. I'm happy to report it took three months, but my six-year-old son Maddox has finally recovered enough from his brutally difficult season of kindergarten, uh, full of recess, coloring, and naps. He's now ready for first grade, and it's also almost fall which means for us Midwesterners, it's gonna snow next week. <laughs> Pretty soon, we're gonna be showing each other pictures from the summer, <laughs> reminiscing about how great life used to be before winter came to ruin our lives. Uh, so enjoy this season. But all this season talk got me thinking about the one we refer to as garage season around our house. See, personally, I love using a garage for its intended purpose, which is to park cars. Emily, my wife, on the other hand, she loves a different type of garage season. See, right around the beginning of every summer, she'll begin to collect furniture that she will refurbish and resell, and she'll collect these pieces from the Craigslist free section side of the road and garage sales, which, again, is just other people's attempts to rid themselves of their junk so that we can fill our garage with it. But initially, she'll fit these pieces right around the edge of our garage, and I can still park two cars, and it works out great. But towards the middle of every summer, she'll approach me. She'll bat her eyes a little bit, and she'll ask, can I please just have one stall? Which really means the entire garage, as you see in the picture here. 
Now, this is incredibly frustrating to me. We have a three-stall garage. I no longer have one car access. It's so frustrating that I refused to help her with any of this. Just a couple weeks ago, she came home with something that looked like this. This isn't the exact piece, but this is how I imagined it looking in my mind. I asked her when I saw it, what is that? And she said, it's an awesome piece that we're gonna put in our guest bedroom. And this thing was nasty, I'm telling you, and it weighed 200 pounds. She said, well, I was at a garage sale and I wasn't gonna buy it, but the woman chased me down and asked, will you take it for $2? Emily loves a good deal, apparently, so she couldn't resist this woman's attempt to desperately pass this thing off to her. And as Emily's telling me this story on the phone, she pulls into the driveway, and I took one look at the piece in the back of our van, I took the keys from her, and I drove this thing straight to the Goodwill to donate. This is me taking a picture, explaining where I was going. Now, I won't be winning, any husband of the year awards, but I don't care. <laughs> that piece of furniture isn't in our garage or our house, so I win, it doesn't matter. <laughs> now, reluctantly, I usually give in to Emily's garage season because first, I love her, okay, she's my wife. But second of all, she always gives me an end date. And the end date is circled on my calendar when she does her own furniture sale in 11 days, about two hours and 32 minutes, not that anyone is counting. See, if I'm patient enough, eventually Emily's garage season will end. She'll refurbish these pieces, she'll get them out of our garage, and I will get my garage back. But here's the thing with seasons. There's a tension we all tend to experience when it comes to seasons. On one hand, we try to tell ourselves and remind ourselves that it's just a season. On the other hand, we can start to believe that this season will never end, that there's no hope that we're stuck. And this can happen in any kind of season, with a garage, with the weather, or any kind of season in life. So quick time out to ask yourself a question. Have you ever felt like you were stuck in a season of life that would never end? And I know I have. Now, why all this talk about seasons? Because for the last three weeks, we've been talking about this idea that God invites every single person into a relationship with him, and he wants you and I to participate by extending that invitation to other people. But the reality is, as you do, as you extend that invitation to other people, you're gonna go through seasons. And that's what we're gonna see as we read Mark chapter four, found in the New Testament. In Mark chapter four, Jesus begins to address the crowd that had gathered around him and, and tell a parable, which is just a story to illustrate truths about God. Now remember, 2,000 years ago, the world was primarily an agrarian society. The economy was based on planting, maintaining, harvesting crops and farmland. Seasons would have been extremely important to his audience. They knew there was a time to prepare and a time to plant, a time to wait, grow, and harvest. And seasons, both in farming and in life, can be extremely unpredictable. They can depend on other elements, and they can go longer than expected. So with all of that said, Jesus begins to tell a story about a man with a bucket of seed. And this man begins to plant a field, scattering seed wherever he went. And the seed falls on four different types of soil. 
On three of the four types, the seed doesn't grow, gets choked out, or dies immediately. But the last of the seed falls on good, fertile soil. And that seed grows 30, 60, 100-fold, which would have been a season of extraordinary growth. And you might be thinking, like his listeners maybe were, what does this story about planting a field and scattering seed have to do with us? Well, the good good news for us is that in this story, Jesus actually explains what it all means. And this is where we pick it up in Mark chapter 4. He said the farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. In other words, each seed represents a truth and a promise of God. And God is constantly trying to fill people's lives with seed when you're in church, which you are. When you're listening to biblical teaching, which you are. When you're worshiping, listening to the wisdom of godly friends, reading the Bible, that's a seed. It either grows inside a person or it doesn't. So Jesus talks about the first soil. He said, the seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. You know, maybe people listen to biblical teaching but don't apply it to their lives. So so these same people keep drifting back into the same habits and routines that they've always struggled with because the soil, their hearts remained hard packed. Maybe there's an unteachable spirit pride or a fear of truth that keeps those seeds from taking root. Jesus talks about the second soil. He said, the seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems. You know, maybe this soil represents the person who's brand new to faith. They just need time to develop stronger roots, or maybe it's the person with a surface level, shallow commitment to God. As soon as life gets difficult, as soon as they face problems, they drift away from faith because their commitment to God was shallow to begin with. Next soil, Jesus talks about the third. He said, the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life the lure of wealth and the desire for other things. See, in this soil, people know what God wants them to do, but the pursuit of other things, the demands of life, our schedules, busyness, the pursuit of other things, it just squeezes God out of their lives. God may have a place in that person's life, but it's not first place. Another quick timeout to ask yourself a question. Do any of these types of soil represent you in this season of life? It's just good to do an occasional soil analysis of your own heart so that you are more like this fourth and final soil. The seed that fell on the good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word. And the growth that this seed experiences is better than anything they can ask for or imagine because when God transforms a human heart, when he redirects a person's life, it leads to extraordinary growth. To me, there is nothing more exhilarating than seeing this kind of heart and soul transformation happens in people's lives because when a seed finds good soil, when a person discovers the hope and forgiveness of Jesus Christ, there is nothing like it. 
Nothing like it. Now notice in this text and in this parable, the sower is generously scattering seed. He's not dropping one little seed here and there and perfectly placing them. He's throwing it all over the place and he's saying, here, this is for everyone. This is for every single person. And here's the thing. God wants you and I to participate as that sower, to generously scatter seed wherever we go. But how should we do that? Well, that's what Paul, a guy who wrote a lot of the New Testament and who spread the message of Jesus as much as anyone in history, he's wondering the same thing in Romans 10. He said, how can they call on God to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? See, unless someone tells them, unless someone scatters seed, they won't know Jesus. They won't be saved. Unless someone tells them, they won't experience the transformation that only Jesus can provide. God wants you and I to generously scatter seed and invite others into a relationship with him. But this isn't easy. In fact, it's not getting any easier in today's world. As you scatter seed, you're gonna go through seasons. And if you don't realize there are seasons to this process, you might end up discouraged and give up. So I wanna prepare you for the four seasons that you will inevitably go through as you scatter seed. And the first season is this, the sowing season. Let's just begin with the obvious for a second. If you wanna see something grow, you gotta sow some seed. In other words, if you wanna see a person's life transformed, Hope renewed, purpose rekindled. You've got to find a way to connect them to Jesus, and you do that by sowing seed. If you notice in this text, the farmer's got one job. He's focused on one thing, and that's to sow seed. He's not overly concerned about where it's landing. He knows that some of it's going to fall on hard soil, others of it on rocky soil or thorny soil, but he's not in the soil business. He's in the seed-throwing business. And I bring this up because I think sometimes we tend to throw some seed, lands on bad soil, and then we give up. But what if, like the farmer, our job is to focus on throwing as much seed as possible, no matter where it lands? Without other people doing this for me in my life, I wouldn't be where who I am. I'm not perfect. Oh, my goodness. But man, if other people hadn't sown seed into my life, I would not be where or who I am today. Growing up, I had generations of people praying for me. My grandparents prayed for me by name almost every morning during their devotional time. My parents prayed for me at night, read the Bible with me. My older siblings modeled a relationship with God for me. Bill Baker, Mike Morris, Jerry and Penny Westendorf, Dave and Linda Andrew, Kyle Fowler, Randy Lemire, all of these people sowed seed into my life. And to be honest with you, at times the the soil in my life was rocky or shallow. My heart was hard and those seeds were rejected, but it didn't matter to them. They just kept scattering seed. I'm so grateful they didn't give up on me. And then in sixth grade, a little redheaded kid named Evan 
picked up the phone and invited me to attend a Christian summer camp with him. We hardly even knew each other. We were rivals in YMCA basketball. That winter, we were playing against each other, and his dad was the ref and called a foul on me to put him to the line to win the game. Not that I'm harboring any bad feelings about that, but I'm so grateful that Evan invited me to attend that camp because at that camp, even as a sixth grader, I dedicated my life to following Jesus. The journey hasn't been perfect, but those seeds, those seeds have been growing in my life and continue to grow. I mean, maybe you find yourself thinking, like I do, wouldn't it be great for my kids to grow up and become generous, thoughtful human beings who follow Jesus someday? Wouldn't it be great for my friends or my family members to come to church, hear how much God loves them, and he changed their life? There's no guarantee that any of those things are gonna happen, but I can guarantee if we just think about those things and never do anything about them, we can't be disappointed if those seeds never grow. Why? There's no seed to begin with. So we gotta sow some seed. You heard these in the story, but quick, three ways to sow seed, pray. One of the most powerful way, things you can do to sow seed is to pray. You might not ever see those seeds get answered in your lifetime, but pray. Pray for your kids to know Jesus. Pray for your spouse, your schoolmates, your neighbors. I believe to my core. Every single person you know is one prayer away from saying yes to God's invitation. It doesn't mean it'll just take one prayer, but it could. So who in your life are you praying for that is far from God? Second thing is to model. One of the most invitational things that we can do is to live our lives the way Jesus wants us to live our lives. Students, if you're a student, you're watching online, follow Christ boldly, and confidently show other students how Christ makes your life better. And that's not just for students, that's for our workplace, our neighborhoods, our homes. Live your life in the way that gets people wondering, what do they have that I don't have? Final way is to invite, maybe this goes without saying, but invite people to church. Recent study concluded that 82% of unchurched people would say yes to an invitation to attend church if a friend or a family member invited them. 82% when I read that. I think we tend to overcomplicate this a little bit. I do. But it can be as simple as, hey, want to come to church with me next weekend? We're starting a brand new series. Would love to have you come. Text, call, have a conversation, pray, model, invite. You are sowing seed. But see, the frustrating thing about sowing seed is that you're always gonna go through this second season. And the second season is the rejection season. One of the things that stood out to me in this parable was the math. See, three out of every four was rejected by the soil it landed on. Now, Jesus is making up this story. He could have used whatever math he wanted to, but he used a 75% Seed rejection ratio. Now in baseball, the best hitters still fail 70 to 75% of the time. Joe Mauer's hitting somewhere between 250 and I think it's just recently 300, but somewhere in there. And he makes $23 million a year while doing that. Jesus is essentially saying, we're gonna hit 250 and no, we'll not make 20. That's where the analogy breaks down a little bit. We won't make $23 million a year while doing that. 
But according to Jesus, when it comes to trying to reach others, here's the truth I want you to understand. We're gonna experience more rejection than reception. This is a game of a failure. It's a game of rejection. No one likes to get rejected, though. I certainly don't. I can remember with vivid detail all the times I've experienced rejection. The time I didn't make the elementary school choir. The time Betsy Johnson broke up with me in eighth grade. I've gotten over that one. But All the rejection letters I've received from colleges that I dreamed of attending. The time we believed we were pregnant with our second child only to find out that Emily's body had rejected the formation of that baby. All rejection is painful. But especially so when we're trying to help others find their way again. Times I've tried to point my friends to Jesus and they still haven't come to faith. Times I've invited my friends or family members to church and they still really aren't interested. These are some of the most heartbreaking moments of my life. Have you ever experienced this kind of rejection? I'm sure you have. Maybe you've tried to scatter seed in people's lives. Maybe you've invited your neighbor several times. Maybe you've prayed for your son or your daughter to come back to God. Maybe you've asked, you've pleaded, you've begged your husband to come to church with you. And because rejection is painful, maybe you've given up. Frankly, no one blames you. I've given up many times as well. But what if that next seed, that next prayer, that next invitation is the one that finally lands on good soil? Look what Paul says here in 1 Corinthians. He says, I planted the seed in your hearts, and Apollos watered it, but it was God who made it grow. In other words, the the growth and the results are all ultimately not up to us. You might be the one who first gives someone an experience of the kind of love that God has for them. Another person might be the one who gets that person to come to church, but let's be clear, it is God who will save. It is God who makes something grow. And see, sometimes I think we incorrectly believe that a seed has been rejected when it's really in this third season, the waiting season. You know, no one likes to hear the words, this may take a while. Who loves to hear that when you're at the DMV, the mechanic or the doctor's office? This may take a while. When you're in labor, it's painful to hear this may take a while. Right, guys? Who wants to do? I mean... Kidding, obviously. (laughs) But when you plant a seed, there's never immediate growth. There's never an instant response. If I was to plant a seed right here, it's ridiculous to, to think that I would ask all of you to stick around while we waited for this thing to grow. That's because when you plant a seed, it's gonna take a while. When you plant a seed... There's a waiting season. See, sometimes I think that we move on or give up before we've given something adequate time to grow. A few years ago, I I went through a really difficult season here at Eaglebrook. 
I was unsure of my abilities, where they fit here at EVC, whether God was still calling me here, whether I had what it took to withstand a season of transition and rejection. And so with the blessing of Bob and the leadership of EVC, I pursued an opportunity at one of the world's most influential churches, which is incredibly rare for leadership to give me that opportunity. I'm so thankful they did. But for three months, I pursued this opportunity. I prayed through it, concluding with time spent praying in their senior pastor's office, one of these legendary, all-time great church leaders. It was surreal. And Emily, my wife, told me, I thought for sure you're gonna come home and say, I'm taking the job. Pack your bags, we're moving. But I had this overwhelming sense from God. I was supposed to just wait. Wait, John. The work that's been done, the seeds that have been planted, don't leave now, don't leave before you see the growth. And I argued with God. I don't like waiting. I'm not good at waiting. I didn't want to wait. But when it came time to make that decision, I knew God wanted me to wait it out at EBC. And since then, the last couple of years have been two of the greatest years of my life. I've experienced more joy, more satisfaction. I've seen more life transformation happen in people's lives than I could ever hope for or dream of. Our senior leadership is stronger or more, and more passionate than ever. I mean, have you seen Bob preach since he's turned 60? He's just getting stronger. Jason Strand is getting stronger. Our staff culture has never been healthier or more unified. God is doing so many extraordinary things through you, the people of this church. And guess what? If I had not waited for those seeds to grow, I would have missed out. And I wonder how much else I've missed out on because I just haven't waited. So let me ask you, is there a seed you've planted you just need to wait out? This is a really tough season. I, I'm guessing that some of you have a prodigal son or a daughter and you've been planting seeds and you've been praying. You've been begging God and you're just in this season of waiting. Maybe there's a person you've invited, a neighbor you've tried to love, a friend you've asked to come back to church. And what if that seed isn't dead after all? What if that seed is still in the ground? Love this quote from author and speaker Christine Kane. She said, just because things aren't going the way you plan doesn't mean they're not going the way they should. Sometimes that seed is still in the ground. Sometimes God is still working on a person's heart. So don't leave now. Wait it out. Because if you do, you won't miss out on this fourth and final season, and that's the growth season. I mean, this is the season that you've been waiting for. After going through lots of sowing, enduring rejection, waiting longer than you wanted to, this is the season that you've been looking forward to. This season is payoff time. You finally get the answer you've been looking for. Maybe your spouse is here with you at church. Maybe your friend has come back to faith. Maybe your neighbor did agree to come with you next weekend for fall kickoff. Whatever it is, this is growth season. Can you imagine standing before God someday in heaven and seeing all the people there as a result of the seeds that you sowed the prayers you prayed and the invitations 
you made, it's gonna be a glorious day. But the question to ask yourself is this, are you willing to endure through every season, through sowing, through rejection, through waiting? Are you willing to endure through every season, no matter how long it takes? Over a decade ago, my friend Don was looking to build a fence, and so he asked his neighbor Brian to help. Brian is this tall, tough Marine, shaved head, tattoos, not to be stereotypical, but the kind of guy you look for when trying to build a fence. <laughs> and a few things stuck out to Don about their conversation from over a decade ago. They got to talking about music, and Don asked Brian what his favorite music was. And he's expecting Brian to say something like Iron Maiden, Def Leppard, Metallica, something dark and fast. Instead, Brian said, uh, Celine Dion. So first point is you just never know until you ask someone. <laughs> Second, the topic of church and faith came up, and, and Brian admitted that he had always found church to be boring and irrelevant. And the topic of evolution had always been a big hang-up for him. Don admitted he didn't have a lot of answers, but that next weekend he was in church at Eagle Brook, and the message was, I have a friend who thinks we came from monkeys. It was a conversation all about creation and evolution, just handled in a masterful way, something that Christians haven't always done well. And Don was just kicking himself that Brian wasn't in the seat next to him. So he bought Brian the audio tape of the message. Audio tape is one of those square, it doesn't matter, but <laughs> bought him the message. He, he handed it off to him, and, and then over the course of several years, Don invited Brian and his wife, Laura, to church multiple times. And most of the time, they respectfully said no. And even when they did come, they didn't really stick the weekend after. So not long after those several years of invites, they moved away. Don lost touch, and, and that window of opportunity had closed. But shortly after landing in their new homes, you'll never guess who made an early contact with him as their new neighbors, another Eaglebrook family. And they invited Brian and Laura to church, who suddenly felt like they couldn't escape these people. <laughs> they said yes, and something finally clicked for them. They started attending. They started leading their family to church. They started serving in student ministry as leaders with Financial Peace University. But it was in 2011 when these seeds came full circle, because that was when Don, who had become a pastor on staff at Eagle Brook, got to baptize Brian and Laura. And not only Brian and Laura, but their two kids, Austin and Jenna. Took over a decade. Don had planted seeds over the years, handing off message tapes, making occasional invites, living their lives. Someone else watered, but it was God who made it all grow. Now the Kindleberger family, Brian, Lauren, Austin, Jenna, they've been forever changed because of those initial seeds that were planted. You just never know how long it's gonna take for that seed to grow. You know, friends, it comes down to this. If we wanna see more growth in people's lives, if we wanna see more transformation, if we wanna spread 
more love, this message of Jesus Christ. It's really simple math. 75% seed rejection ratio. Our job is to keep sowing more seed. Is there a person in your life who needs an invitation? It's not easy to invite people, I know that. And maybe they've said no before. Maybe they seem totally unreachable. Maybe you haven't asked yet. So here's my challenge as we conclude this series. And we hope you've been inspired by the message of Jesus through this series. My challenge is this, invite someone to attend with you next weekend for fall kickoff. We're kicking off a brand new series, Made for More. We're talking about purpose. Bob's gonna be talking about what it means to dream big. Every single person I know cares about purpose, cares about discovering what dreams God has given them. Plus it's fall kickoff. We always do, do something a little extra and fun around Eagle Brook. It's a can't miss weekend. Don't be kicking yourself that that person you're thinking of isn't in the seat next to you next weekend. My wife, Emily, and I just handed out an invite card this week. Someone bought a car from us. We invited her and her daughter to church, and we are praying that she shows up. We're going to follow up with her this week. Who is that person in your life who needs to be here with you next weekend? Because we believe that this is going to be our greatest season yet. We just do to our core. There's going to be more growth in people's lives more transformation, more healing, more love. And there's gonna be more people reached for Christ. How are we gonna do that? Together. Together, we are gonna keep sowing more seed. And with that, across all six of our campuses, let's stand for closing prayer and submit this message to Jesus. Lord, we are so grateful for this table that you've created for us to invite people into a relationship with you. Every race, every gender, every background, every past. No one is too far gone. No one is too lost. No one is without hope. God, in a world desperate for unity and a message of love and hope, may we be a people who unites others with the message of your son, Jesus. A message of forgiveness, a message of hope, a message of truth. God, we wanna invite others into relationship with you so that you, the one responsible for growth and results, can change a person's life. We just wanna be vessels. We wanna be instruments and vehicles used by you to reach other people far from you. I pray specifically for those people who are struggling in a really long waiting season. There's a lot of pain, a lot of sleepless nights, a lot of hopelessness. God, remind them that no one is too far gone. No one is without hope. May your spirit lead and guide them through that. And we finally pray for people who have had to endure the tragedy of Hurricane Harvey. God, help those waters to recede. God, help people to recover their lives, their homes, their relationships, 
their own faith and their own hope. Give people who are on the ground energy and endurance to persevere. And then may we as a church rise up and lift the burden of those affected by the hurricane through our resources, through our partnerships down the road, through our prayers, God. We lift all of this up to you in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Hey, thanks for coming, everyone. We'll see you next weekend for fall kickoff.